Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So today is another fun-filled Sabbath episode, and Nick will tell y'all all about that. But today, I'm going to be covering Meadowsweet and the god Lou. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to be covering uh, Lunasa. Uh, Woo! So... We are, yeah, we're doing we're doing the fun Sabbath episode, uh, and this one's I think going to be a little bit of a short one. So, yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. sorry for you two hour commuters. Uh, we're we're not going to get you all the way there, but um... <laughs> right, but it is a fun one. This is actually one of my favorite Sabbaths, um, so I'm really excited. And Nick and I were just talking about um, pronunciation stuff, so you'll probably hear us say both Lunasa or. Lunasa. I know Lunasa is what I've seen Irish speakers tend to say, but Lunasa seems to be like the anglicized version of it. And we are American English speakers, so we will do our best, but you'll probably just hear both pronunciations. And, you know, we're all doing our best with uh, with Irish in particular, like the Gaelic languages, I think, especially for English speakers can be a bit tricksy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny because I think, you know, it's like you have a lot of Irish heritage and I have a lot of Scottish heritage and it's like we should be better Celtic descended peoples, but um, there you have it, people. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> we're doing our best, but I am excited to talk about um, Lou. So this week we're actually like switching things up on y'all and talking about the deity first. And I think it makes sense because when Nick gets into Lunasa, um, you'll already have a bit of a background about Lou. Um, so since this is a holiday in his honor, I wanted to give an intro to the man of the hour. The, the man, and the myth, the legend. The, the man, the myth, the Celtic god, uh, <laughs> one of the most important and powerful of the Celtic gods, especially in Ireland. Um, you'll also often see Lou referred to with like a really cool epithet, like um, Lou Samildanach, which means skilled in many arts and crafts. Um, and you'll get we'll get into it a little bit later, but he's like a total multi hyphenate. Um, but his mother is Enya, the daughter of Balar, leader of the Fomorians, and his father is Kian, the son of the healing god, Dian Kecht. And Lu was actually born at the same time as two siblings, but they died shortly after the birth. And there are some weird things where it talks about how, like, his two other siblings dying is the reason he has, like, the strength of three. But all of that kind of feels a little bit weird to me, so I'm not going to get, like super into that well I, um, and, and i do want to want to jump in here and say um that lou as commonly depicted on like stone carvings and um tapestry images has the three face thing going on a lot of times yep. yeah so if you guys like want kind of like a visual of how they they kind of looked at that in art um, you know, the, the three face thing is, is very much the Lou thing. So when you see that at, you know, Celtic historical sites, that is who that is. Yeah, yeah. A bit of that like trio, like that triple deity sort of vibe. Um, yeah, so great, great addition there. But yeah, there is definitely a lot of weird stuff about him, like absorbing his dead siblings powers that was just like, mm, I don't know about that one. That feels weird. Um, <laughs> the story about his wives varies a lot. And depending on the source, you'll read that he was married to Bui, Nas, Echtak, or Englik. But in some sources, he has all four. So you can kind of like choose your own adventure with his marriage situation. Uh, and in a lot of sources, he actually has no children. But when he is referred to as having a son, it's Kuchelen, which we all know by now, I hope, um, as the hero of the Ulster cycle. And if you haven't listened to some of our other deity coverage, we talk about Kuchelen a lot, I think, especially in the Morrigan episode. So there's a lot that happens in the Ulster cycle. And it's actually kind of become my like nerding out sort of like... <laughs> sidetrack thing i was talking to eric about this the other night like celtic mythology is 
fascinating. But anyway, the most important thing that we can't forget about Lou is that he has a very faithful hound whose name is Faunish. So since we have, like I mentioned, talk about a few different Celtic deities, if you've listened to those episodes, you're already familiar with the Tuatadanen, and Lou is the chief of these supernatural baddies. And this story, and a lot of his story in general, but the one we're talking about today is derived from the Battle of Moitura. And in this story, before Lou is born, the Tuatadanen fight and win against the Firbolg at Moitura, which is a, a plain in Connacht in Northwest Ireland. And to be fair, the Firbolg were the current residents of Moitura at that time. But after their defeat, they dispersed to remote islands in Scotland, so they didn't have to go too far. But then 27 years later, there's a fight here again, this time between the Tuatadanen and the Fomorians. So the Fomorians are either semi-divine beings or, my personal favorite, demonic pirates, depending on the source. Um, but I really do think like the idea of demonic pirates is like metal as fuck. So that's like my preferred reading. Like there's even depictions of them like having like one leg and like one eye and being like really badass. So that's what I'm going with here. But even though they are badasses, they they too are defeated by the Tuatadanen here. And you might have remembered uh, that his mother, who I mentioned, she's like a Fomorian, right? So I just want to note here, yeah, his mom is a Fomorian, but the two people, the Tuatadanen and the Fomorians, before this like battle happened, had actually had a lot of like a long period of peace. And there had been intermarriage, of course, which is how you end up with someone like Hion, who's like, you know, the son of this healing god, Dian Kecht, marrying like Enya, who's the daughter of the leader of the Fomorians, leading to Lu. So she's um, so she's a demon pirate princess. She's a demon pirate princess, essentially, which is like the coolest. But I just wanted to like point out that that wasn't I it's kind of a we're yada yada yadding over the, the period of peace leading up to the battle. Um, but the battle is really important in Lou's story. And he's actually the one who kind of like seals the deal. Right. So we go back to him, like becoming the chief of the Tuatadanen. Right. So to do this, Lou has to present his Uh, credentials to to Nuaru, who's the current king. There's a story about Lu showing up at Tara, and it's like this really interesting story about him going through all of his like different credentials. So basically, he goes through like, you know, do you have a carpenter? I can be a carpenter. I can be a smith. I can be a warrior. I can be a sorcerer. I can be a historian. And like the guard at Tara is like, no, we have all of those things. He's like, okay, well, go ask your king if he has someone who's all of them. And if he if he does, then I'll totally leave. I won't come to Tara and I won't, you know, come present my case. And of course, like this Beyonce multi hyphenate eventually like is admitted to Tara. And there's this whole conversation with Nuadu. And to show off his strength, uh, Lou decides to to throw a huge flagstone and the court is impressed. And here I just imagine like a hearty golf clap. Um, and then of course, because he's also a musician, Lou plays the harp for the court, which I do love. And then finally he defeats Nuaru in a board game called, um, Fidkel, which I should note feels a bit unfair since a lot of places actually credit Lou with the invention of this board game. So I'm just going to like say maybe Nuaru kind of had a bit of a handicap going into this final battle. Also, but... I, I I love that, uh, you know, we're telling this, like, epic legend that is the backstory of a of a fucking god. And it's like, th- they felt compelled to mention that he also basically won at, like, Monopoly. Well, hey, okay, I have to say, <laughs> as a hardcore board gamer myself, who just won, I won, we had, like, a full day of board gaming on Saturday with some friends, and I definitely won the last game. Um, I could see that being like so it's like ceiling. So, so it's like you you have this epic victory where you become the king, but you do not neglect to mention that I also won at the board game. Yeah, so. most importantly, probably <laughs> he wanted the board game. So this is how Lou becomes like the head of the Tuatadanen. So now we're gonna like cut back to the battle with the Fomorians, right? So Lou is like 
now the leader. He's going into the battle with like his mother's people. And he uses his sorcery skills to give his army like super OP magical weapons. Um, and his spear, uh, Gaiseo, was like super OP because it always hits its target and it also returns to him like a goddamn boomerang. And it said that it was such a fearsome weapon that it had to be stored in a cauldron of water when it wasn't in use or else it would set everything around it on like actual fucking fire. How cool is that? <laughs> um, so... Now, in a very twisty twist, y'all, because we know Lou is fighting his mother's people, right? He has to, like, fight his own grandfather, Balar. So Balar has one huge eye, and his eyelid is apparently so heavy that it took four men to lift it. So they sometimes called him Evil Eye, which seems fair. Uh, And any enemies that look him in the eye are rendered powerless. So he's kind of like this demonic pirate, cyclops, like eye of moria like it's very very intense um (laughs) so kind of like also like a bit of a basilisk mood um so to deal with right (laughs) so in order to deal with like his like creepy evil-eyed grandpa uh lou has to like blind him with the spear and then he actually cuts off his whole head and mounts it on a pole and then points it back at the Fomorians. So the evil eye, which he was blinded, but of course the evil eye's power is not in the sight. Magic, y'all. So with Gramps, e- Gramps is like evil eye pointed at them. The Fomorians suddenly find themselves like super unlucky. And like, I just imagine a bunch of like pratfalls and them tripping all over themselves. And then they're like easily defeated by the Tuatadanen. So after this, Lou goes on to rule his new kingdom for 40 years. And it's, of course, a time marked by peace and prosperity and especially bountiful harvests. So, of course, uh, a lot of people honor Lou on Lunasa. But there are other areas you can work with him in your craft, too. Like, he's a really big deal deity and also, like... You know, uh, a deity that can bring bounty is useful more than once a year, right? So you can, like, make crafts and decorations for your house to honor him since he does have, like, this really strong connection to craftsmanship. Um, Of course, on the warrior side, you can call on him to help if you're working to settle, like, conflicts. And I say big bonus points if it's familial conflict and even extra bonus points if it's a a conflict with your Cyclops grandpa. I feel like he's, like, exceptional at dealing with that very specific type of uh, problem. And he is like a god of magic and sorcery as well. So I think you can just call on him for additional support if you're doing like bigger spells or longer term magic. And I think on that note, like he does seem like a great candidate for a patron deity, in my humble opinion. And as a harvest god, I definitely recommend petitioning him for support in your garden, if that's something you take seriously. Um, Just like a reminder, I wouldn't ever like recommend asking a deity for like casual support. So if it's something you're planning to put a lot of work into, definitely work with the deity. But if you just get like a wild hair one day and decide to like plant a bunch of seedlings, but you've never gardened before and you don't know if you're going to be interested a week from now, maybe don't use your deity ask for that situation. Um, and on the topic of like harvest and abundance, I think he's a real natural for work around prosperity. Um, he could be another like great God to invoke for home spellcraft too, specifically if you're wanting to like invite prosperity into your life and the lives of those you live with. So, um, kind of short and sweet, but I wanted it to be like a bit of a, like a bouche for the Lunasa segment. So my sources today were Britannica.com and world history encyclopedia. Um, and of course, mythical Ireland's YouTube. Uh, I use that source all the time when I'm trying to work on my pronunciation. So I know we have like more and more UK listeners. So if you guys have any notes or any like other suggestions for resources for pronunciation, I am always on board because again, it's like. Irish and the Gaelic languages are a bit tough. And so I definitely know we're doing our best, but we are obviously not native speakers. So always open to uh, suggestions on how to improve on that front. And, you know, so, so humble. We're so humble. <laughs> we're we're humbly asking you to like let <laughs> us know if we ever just fuck up so badly that yeah. we need to be corrected. Uh, Please do. We will make like a public correction. Uh, yes, we will. Uh, <laughs> th- there's so much Virgo energy on this podcast. I, we'd almost have to. I feel like it would be illegal for us not to. Um, <laughs> but no, so now we know so much about Lou. And I'm so like, 
honestly, you hit all the right points when we're talking about Lunasa. Let's have a little deep, but a little deep dive, okay? Yeah. Uh, so, Lunasa is one of our eight sabbats that make up the Wheel of the Year, and one of the four that come directly from the Celtic religious calendar. Uh, so, the traditional time to celebrate this sabbat is the midpoint between the summer solstice and the autumn equinox, uh, or August 1st, to keep it easy for you. Uh, But actually, you know, people do kind of have a divided opinion on this. Uh, August 1st is, of course, a great day to celebrate, but uh, a lot of people like to celebrate on the full moon closest to August 1st. Uh, Because Celtics actually did work off of a lunar calendar, mainly, and uh, it that does f- to me feel a little more authentic. Um, but options, it's nice to have options. You got as busy options. witches, we're busy witches, <laughs> you know. Honestly, whichever one falls on the weekend for you personally is probably the one you're gonna go with. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, when you got a day off, that's when you can do the Sabbath shit. <laughs> that's when you can do the Sabbath shit. Uh, so and of course, coming as a shock to nobody. The traditional celebrations of this holiday involved visits to sacred wells, uh, dance plays of Lou's great victory and securing the harvest for mankind, and uh, hand fasting for everyone who missed out on the romantic aspects of Beltane. I uh, love that. It's like the uh, the catch-up moment for people that have Beltane FOMO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's fine, it's fine. You could, you know, wait for Lunasa. Uh, so, <laughs> now, unlike some of the other Sabbaths, there is very little evidence of, like, a Christian takeover of this particular festival. Uh, there's a few, like, local festivals around this time of year that are, like, to patron saints uh, of the local church. Um, so, but the people did still make pilgrimages to some of the same hilltops and sacred wells as before, uh, but they're, they're, they're Christian religious pilgrimages because, you know, it's good as a, as a good Christian to make a, 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 a pilgrimage every now and then, uh, it, I mean, the, what's life without a good pilgrimage? You know, and it's it's for Jesus, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of a wink and a nudge, and uh, yeah. But it's it's not like they it's not like turned it into Christmas or Easter, you know. It's like yeah. Uh, but okay, so one interesting holdover though is that among the Irish diaspora, uh, just all the Irish people who don't live in Ireland anymore. Um, late July and early August are still incredibly popular times to have family reunions and like county fairs and things like that, uh, you know, for, for towns that have a lot of Irish people in them. Um, I mean, that's always when our family reunions were growing up. We always did them. It was usually early August. Right. And so it's like, it had, it has a legacy. It has staying power, but you know, there's really, because I feel like we always talk about uh, what did the Christians do to steal it? And they didn't. Not, yeah. not so much. So good for them on this one, I say. Good uh, for you. <laughs> good for you. Uh, so, But aside from the usual Celtic Sabbath things, uh, there are some, you know, quirky Lunasa things uh, that I think really make it special and unique. And so that's kind of what we're focusing on here. I mean, sure, go visit your sacred wells or whatever. Uh, those of you who are with with that kind of vibe, uh, I feel really like left out that I don't have a sacred well. Like I, I kind of do too. <laughs> Bummed. Uh, I like my little. I like my little spring. I you know anytime it's like visit a sacred well, I'm like I I I know of a spring. It is a lovely spot. So I'll go. Counts. <laughs> I, I'll I'll go there. Uh, but so this Sabbath is especially about the harvest. And as part of the feast, there was the offering of the first fruits. And so traditionally in Ireland, these would be bilberries. Uh, And so some of the festivals that have held over after everyone converted to Christianity, they would have bilberry day uh, around this time. Uh, But in modern times, we have branched out to include like other summer berries that would be available at this time, like 
blackberries and blueberries. Uh, so this served two purposes for those participating, uh, being sort of like one part thank you note for everything that the season has offered so far. Uh, this is like wheat harvesting season. Mm, I uh, always make bread. So it's it's very that's why bread and cake are so much of a part of it. Uh, so you're thanking them for everything that you've gotten from your wheat harvest and uh, sort of also a petition to have a fruitful harvest season to come, you know, everything that comes after the wheat, your 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 other veg uh for the year, right? Um so everyone needs to be ready for like the leaner days of winter. So whereas a, a lot of sabbats really have a very jovial note, I feel like uh Lunasa gets down to business. Um that it's like it's like business Thanksgiving. <laughs> I like that. Uh so like the second part is a huge part of like the spirit of the holiday, though. Uh, it's 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 taken deadly serious, and uh, so like in addition addition to the offering of the first fruit, they would sacrifice a bull at the the big Lunasa festival in Ireland, which we're going to talk about a little more later on. So, but we I kind of wanted to put that in context with the bull. Uh, so, if you live in a pre-industrial farming society. A healthy bull is actually like a huge ask for a sacrifice. And, yeah, that's like that's next level shit. Right. And and it shows like just how important having a good harvest was to society at large. So like it's not just like a few chickens or a goat. Like you're missing out on one field labor because like, you know, a bull could be turned into a steer and used to pull a plow. Uh you're also missing out on like good breeding stock for your uh, herd. And uh, I mean, at the end of it all, you're also missing out on all of the food that that would be, which would be a lot of food for <laughs> a whole bunch, a whole bunch. Uh, so that there was another element to traditional Lunasa celebrations that sets it apart from the other wheel of the year Sabbaths. And that was the games. So I, Ooh. it's like, I kind of, you know, was given Shannon the shit about the board game mention where it's like, oh, you have this whole legend and it's like, but he won, he won the board game, right? Like, yes, begging the gods not to have a famine is very serious business, <laughs> but it is still a festival. So, so it needs the fest, right? And the games are, are the fest part of it. So they're based on like traditional funeral games so there, part of the legend of Lunasa is um, Taitin or Taiten, who uh, died of exhaustion after clearing the fields of Ireland so that the people could grow crops there, which is like a huge sacrifice that she made. Uh, and like a lot of the traditional parts of it involve sacrificing, right? Because she made this sacrifice uh, so exhausted. I mean, clearing all the fields of Ireland to make it good farmland must have been a huge job. Uh, but no, so there's games, though, right? Funeral games. So, and I, I was interested to find out that this was actually something that spread beyond Celtic culture. Like, there's Greek funeral games, there's Roman funeral games. Like, apparently, if you were a bigwig in olden timey days, they would have games and competitions as part of your funeral. I feel like we should bring that back. I really do too. Uh, so like these games would be like horse races and like feats of strength. Uh, so you talk about throwing the flagstone. Uh, I mean, uh, at the Highland Games in Scotland, I, where they actually have a lot of like preserved old Celtic field games that they do every year. So if you kind of want a, an example of what the old Lunasa games would be like, like, you know, look up a YouTube video of the Highland Games. And uh, yeah, they do. They throw like that cannon, like they throw like a cannonball as part of it. Uh, so it's like the Olympics. uh but for Celtic people, but it's for it's because it's a it's a symbolic funeral, right? Uh, for Lou, for the lady who cleared the fields, it's like 
funeral games, uh, specific specifically the games you would play at a funeral, um, which yeah, again, but uh, so but speaking of the Olympics, the Olympics are are this summer now because of COVID, uh, but so there's a lot of coverage of the Olympics going on right now, and one of the things about the Olympics that so carries on today is it's like encouraging healthy competition. So like even countries that are enemies with each other still send their their athletes and you know they can duke it out on the the racetrack or the uh on the pitch on the <laughs> on the pitch right so in that spirit Lunessa was a time when the the little feudal kings of Ireland would all get together and sort of stop fighting their little wars between themselves for like a day. You know, it's not a huge ask, but that's when they would sign treaties, uh, hashing out agreements. Um, so, you know, it's like everyone's already there. You, you're wanting to watch your champions duke it out, but it's a good time to do business, right? And so, like, what is now the county Meath in Ireland? Uh, these Lunasa games were, like, an important part of the administration of the whole country of Ireland because uh, like the feuds and political intrigue had to be put aside at least for a day and like treaties could be written and signed in a single day because I mean you know it's like they weren't bound by our very complicated legal code back then uh so trades could happen even between enemies and you know it's really kind of all about everyone needs to be set up for like harvest season and winter and everything that's like coming after that. I was just going to say, I feel like it has such like back to school vibes. Yeah, It's very much like a back to school vibe. Like uh, laying foundations. Yes. 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 And it, so this is also the time when they would have uh, trials where whatever had occurred kind of overlapped different jurisdictions. Uh, so that everyone could come to like a mutual agreement about whatever has occurred. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of, it's just like a, it's a neat aspect of it. And I, I think like that's old Lunasa, right? Yeah. And so we get this idea that it was a very important time for Celtic peoples who like very much lived off the land and whose lives depended on a good harvest. But so, like, in my experience, most of our listeners are modern gals and guys with, like, day jobs and Netflix subscriptions and indoor plumbing. So I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people out there would be inclined to feel separated from the urgency of imploring the gods for a good harvest or, you know, like, surviving the winter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think most of us are not in a place where um, if our tomato plants don't produce, we could die. Fortunately, right. it's very fortunate for us. Uh, but there, there's a lot here that we can engage with and bring into a 21st century practice. So, like for starters, this is 1,000 percent when you should take the time to put fresh offerings on your altar, because uh, it is about like the harvest and bounty and that kind of vibe. Uh, so this would not be the time to skip out, you know. You know, put your silk flowers out for Beltane. Maybe you get a pass for that one. Maybe. But, you know, you gotta put some food out for this one. And that's just how it is. Uh, <laughs> so, but a traditional thing to do for a Lunasa feast is to make a cake with the likeness of Lou made out of corn husks or whatever you have. Come on, you guys. It's us. <laughs> uh, on top. So, in this spirit and in the spirit of keeping it seasonal, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say, because I was like looking at all these little cake recipes and I'm like, keep we should keep it simple too though. Fresh berry cornbread is so delicious. Uh like why not do that as your cake? And then why not I love that. Uh because berries are a very traditional offering, and then you know, like cutting into the cake and having like the juice run it kind of looks like blood so you kind of get the 
sacrificial element of the whole thing, uh, which is nice. Uh, you could also use berries for eyes on your your little corn dolly that you're putting on top of your cake. Uh, don't think anyone would be mad at you for that. And yeah, you know, offering the end piece as uh, your bit for the altar, uh, I think would be lovely. And really a way to kind of do two birds, uh, two birds, one stone with that one. So, um, and also not to get too political here, because, you know, we are talking about like a 21st century witch's way to celebrate Lunasa, right? Yeah. Um, so I thought it was very serendipitous timing that I just so happened to see a thing about how agriculture workers were having a hard time unionizing here in Texas. Uh, and then I, you know, I read a little bit more about it and it's apparently a thing that they have a hard time doing everywhere here. Uh, so I was just, you know, and then it's something I read even more into and it's kind of all over the world that like people who actually harvest the food that we eat are often not having a very good time uh, with things dying of heat exposure being a top thing uh, because not being able to take a break and get cold water and seek out shade uh, causes people to die in the fields, which if you're dying in the field, that's slavery. That's not a job. That's why they need to organize. And all of that to say, um, this would be a great time to look into small ways that you yourself could help out with that cause uh, because I mean, this is literally like a harvest holiday. We're supposed to be celebrating, you know, sort of the bounty of our lives and the things that we've manifested and thinking about things that we'd like to manifest for our future. And a lot of times like these people, they really don't have a lot of organizational support to have their voices heard. Uh, a lot of them fear for losing their jobs if they do speak out. So something to keep in mind is that you could get politically involved because I personally feel that witchcraft should be radical. It should be political. Uh, and I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but I really think it's like, if you're going to celebrate this Sabbath for everything that it represents and should represent, that is absolutely something that you should look into. And yes, of course do witchcraft uh, for those people and against the people that would oppress them. Uh, but also you could uh, get personally involved uh, in a political way. So um, yeah. no, I think that's a really good point. And I just want to like add to that because it's soapbox time. Um, in addition to the people that are working on organizing in the fields who are dealing with all sorts of like fears of retribution, like not just for their jobs, but a lot of them with like, you know, immigrant status and things like that, that they have to be concerned about. There's also more and more this like move for private prisons to basically like loan out prisoners to work fields when there's a shortage, which is again, slavery. So there are lots of causes, especially around big ag that I think we can all like put some weight behind on this day. And I think Nick, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think this is like the perfect time to do that type of work. Yeah, because I mean, it's like, that's that's part of your work as a witch, is making the world a better place. Uh, yep, so, 100%. So fucking get to it. And uh, yeah, soapbox time is over. I'm just going to put that aside. Uh, but I would say it is no mistake here as well, in my humble opinion, that this time of year continues to be the traditional time for a company to end its fiscal year and begin a new one. Uh because it like carries the same energy. You were like, it's back to school energy. And I'm like, it's also kind of like end of the fiscal year energy. Uh, so anyone that oh, ev yeah. <laughs> ever has worked in an office and has to deal with that, it's like August, September is usually when the fiscal year ends. And you know, kind of like thinking about that, like it's the same energy as the sort of old Kings of Ireland calling off their wars for the day. So they could like meet up and trade and, do everyone get set up for the year ahead, right? And yeah. it's like, what are we bringing into our craft with this? So like taking stock and acknowledging the things that we have been grateful for since the last Lunasa and 
sort of like dreaming up new and better things to hope for in the year ahead. Uh, I feel like that's the kind of like, you know, it's like practicing active gratitude and thinking about all of the things you would want in the year to come. Uh, So I think it's a lot easier to like manifest when you have the lay of the land for what you already have. Uh Uh-huh. And if you are sort of on the inverse, if you look at what you already have, it's easy to see what you might be missing. Uh, But being gratitude, being gratitude for what we have, no, being grateful for what we have is, is very much the vibe. Uh, And trying to our best to use like seasonal things and use what's available to us while being grateful for it. You know, it's like, yeah, I feel like I've seen this like a lot of times referred to as like a lot of people saying Luna says kind of like the Wiccan Thanksgiving. I was getting very much like a Thanksgiving vibe. I, 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 and it's like, I almost talked about Thanksgiving a bit, uh, but yeah, it's like business Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's hard because especially in America, Thanksgiving has such a like colonialist, like genocidal undertone that's impossible to avoid. Anyway, yeah. So I was just saying, I think it's like with all the like food and the feasting and the gratitude. Yeah, definitely like big Thanksgiving vibes for sure. Right. And I was even saying it's like talking about these things over your feast being part of the tradition, like part of the magic of it. Uh, so it's like saying the things out loud that you're grateful for, like going around and saying out loud the things that you're grateful for, which is something that uh, my family does at Thanksgiving, which is kind of corny, but I I do also really like it. And it's something yeah. I think that would be, because you know, there's like a lot of power comes from saying these things out loud. Yeah. Uh, Last year, I feel like um, Eric and I did sort of this ritual that I really loved. And I think it's an easy one to do that's kind of along those lines, right? It's like each of us had three bay leaves and we had we wrote down something that we wanted to leave in the past year. We wrote down something we were grateful for and something that we wanted to manifest in the coming seasons. And so it's like for the stuff that we wanted to say goodbye to, we burned those bay leaves for the things that we were wanting to manifest, we buried them outside under our tree. And then for the things that we were grateful for, we actually put them in a honey jar. And the idea is now that like every year we're going to add new bay leaves with things that we're thankful for to that same honey jar and just kind of like build up basically this like big bottle of gratitude that we keep sort of like on our on our like entertainment center in the living room. Uh, well, I love that. Uh, and I hope you got a big jar. Um, but so speaking of bay leaves, it's kind of like bringing me back around to like the, the idea of the feast, right? Which is central to a harvest festival, obviously. Uh, and obviously my favorite part because I do like food. So like, yum, (laughs) I would say, especially in America, like corn is a big one to have pride of place in your sort of North American Lunasa celebration. Because uh, it's it's all about what's seasonal. Okay, so like corn is that right now. Uh, I mean, like wheat is as well. But when was the last time you bought fresh wheat? Never. Uh, so, you know, go get your fresh corn. Uh, and then when you get your fresh corn, you end up with corn husks. So you can make corn loo. For your, for your berry cornbread. And also you'll have that. other ones to make corn dollies, which you can use for your feast table. Uh, you can also put it on your altar, uh, especially if you're going to say a little prayer for the agricultural workers. Uh, it is traditional that the corn dollies are sort of agricultural workers. You could give them a little paper scythe uh, or a sun hat or, you know, whatever kind of speaks uh, a, far- a farmer to you. Um, so not... Yeah, I love that. So- I would say my favorite thing to make too, if you're, in addition to cornbread, because to me there can never be enough carbs, I really like making seeded loaves mm, for Lunasa mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, collecting seeds can be a fun activity to do with like 
the kids to especially like wildflower seeds and things that are you know ripe for collection this time of year um seeded loaves of bread i feel like are also a, a good lunasa vibe you know i feel like the sunflowers have kind of hit their peak before this yeah. time as well so you maybe have some sunflower seeds around as well uh so like a you know like a sunflower seed bread would be good uh yeah it's like i just i, I was just saying i feel like everything you see is bread and cake and i'm like and corn. It's like berries, corn, cake, bread. Oh, yeah. And so it's I, like, I'm probably going to make cornbread and regular bread and a berry cake. And I'm just going to like carbo load because why the fuck not? It's it's witches Thanksgiving. It's you witches, get to eat until you want to die. It's witches Thanksgiving. But I was just saying, you know, for, for everyone out there where it's like, you're going to you want to do one thing and you're indecisive berry cornbread really hits all the marks uh true 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 which is kind of which was kind of my idea with that i was like bread cake berries corn no i think it's fair (laughs) i think i'm just very much a more is more so i'm like berry cornbread and (laughs) berry cornbread (laughs) and bread and cake and corn because honestly it's like you know you get your little grilled corn make your Mm. make your little mexican street corn Oh my god. Uh, yum, yum, yum. But no. But, you know, and it's like, you know, getting the kids involved with the crafts is fun, too. Like you were saying, it's like seed gathering, making corn dollies. I mean, if you're making some for the table that are a little nicer, it's like they can make some that are made by children. Uh, for the kids' table. For the kids' table. How fun. Uh Everyone likes, everyone does like to be involved though. You know, it's like if you're, if you're doing all these preparations and you got kids around, they're going to be interested in what you're doing and everyone likes to help. Uh, But I would say sort of my last note on modern Lunasa, and this is my, it's like a personal opinion. Okay. I think it's a, it's a, it's a Sabbath to share. So almost in the same way that like certain Jewish people like to share like passover because they like tell the story of passover and you know it's like they would maybe invite like close friends or neighbors to like experience that with them uh i feel like it is a season of gratitude and certainly i think that does extend to the people that come into your life you know like your good friends your neighbors uh because like that you sort of the whole idea of old lunasa was kind of like putting aside your swords and like welcoming people and sharing your bread and sharing the first of the harvest and sort of being grateful for the good things that are coming into your life and building that community. And so, you know, it's like for everyone that's not in the broom closet and is sort of out and about as a witch, I feel like, you know, this would be something good to get your non-pagan friends to to come experience with you and like share the gratitude with them as well. I love that. So I think that's awesome. Because I feel like, I, I feel like, you know, there's, there's not so much uh, sacred sort of imagery that goes along with this. It's, it's a pretty straightforward Sabbath and uh, you know, there's not a lot of ritual that has to go into it. So I think it would be fine for normies to come to your feast. And it's also kind of a good opportunity to just like show people what you're about in that way. Um, I love that. So no, yeah. I think that's really a good point. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I left it off. I, I feel like with those, you know, it's like, I like to do a, a bit of old and then like what's new. Uh, yeah. And, and, we, a plus plus. We we got that. We got that this week. So we're talking <laughs> about Meadow Sweet next. Yeah, yeah. So obviously we're covering Lunasa today. So I wanted to talk about an herb that's associated with the holiday, um, but this one also has a lot of great uses. So today I would like to introduce you all to the humble Meadow Sweet, or its Latin name, Philippangela ulmaria. You'll also sometimes uh, hear it referred to as Meadwort Meadow Queen, or my personal favorite, Lady of the Meadow. Uh, which is just, isn't that a great name for a flower? Um, that's, um, that's my name. Um, oh, well, I'm, I so forgot, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I forgot to tell everyone that's, that's my new honorary title is Lady of the Meadow. Uh, but... Lady of the Meadow. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and Meadowsweet you'll find listed in some of like the most famous literary works of the Middle Ages. And it was one of the three herbs held sacred by the Celtic Druids. And it was used to flavor mead for this time of year, which, you know, hence the folk name mead wart. And Meadowsweet was obviously super celebrated in Celtic times. Not just everything was picked to flavor mead, guys. Like, you know, mead was serious business. And to the Celts, this herb represented like the flower bride, which is the maiden aspect of the triple goddess that we're all familiar with. And that totally tracks with me because the flowers are absolutely lovely. Like they are definitely like a thing of beauty. The white, they're like white cream colored flowers and they're arranged in an umbel like arrangement. And they usually have like five to six different petals. Um, And I just wanted to note like in botanical terms you'll see the term umble and it refers to like flower arrangements that are shaped kind of like an upside down umbrella like the top of the parasol but upside down Uh, and those are like the flower arrangements you'll see in the parsley family so you can definitely like flex your botanical knowledge and talk about umble arrangements Um, and these these flowers do have like beautiful dark green leaves that are really reminiscent of really large rose leaves And the most wonderful thing, though, about this is the smell and flavor. I think the best description I've read about it was that it has the floral scent of elderflower with the backdrop of a deeper marzipan-like note, which is, like, so yum. That actually, that sounds like a delicious dessert, an elderflower marzipan. Yeah, I feel like you could definitely infuse a cream with this and make it into cheesecake. Uh, but meadowsweet usually flowers between late May and August, so their season is coming to its stunning co- conclusion this time of year, which is perfect because the hot summer evenings actually help make the scent more intense. And the great news is, even though these are native to super marshy parts of Europe, you can definitely grow this at home. Um, you can even grow it in a container. And it's best raised by seed, and you can you know, have a great pot of this on a balcony, or of course direct sow it into a larger outdoor area. It does well in partial uh, partial shade, and it does like rich, loamy soil that, wait for it, stays a bit moist. Oh, Uh, shit. Right? You gotta, like, remember the native habitat here. Like, this is a plant that doesn't tolerate drought. Like, meadowsweet is a very typical riparian forest denizen, and it will, like actually tolerate some water logging so this is actually happening guys like this plant likes wet feet it's from the marsh uh and this is a great herb to choose if you have like a more difficult balcony that doesn't get quite enough sun so just know that if you're planting it in a pot though you're going to need something with at least a 12 inch diameter because their roots can be a bit sprawly so you just want to make sure you've got something that's got room for it to grow into and if you're growing it in the ground you can just stick with your annual compost application but if you're growing in a pot you can use like a good herbal fertilizer every six weeks or so just remember like anything you grow in a pot is going to need a bit more feeding because their roots can't reach out for more food like plants in the soil you're basically holding them captive uh so you better help it develop some Stockholm syndrome, you creeps, myself included. Meadowsweet, though, is a hardy perennial. It doesn't require any special wintering measures, which is good news for you guys that have that winter thing that I've heard so much about. Uh, And in the spring, leaves will shoot again from the rhizome. So, like, think about the way your oxalis works. It's fine. If it dies back, it'll look dead. But there are rhizomes in the ground, and they'll come back. So let's get into the medicinal, y'all, because there's some, like, really awesome stuff here. Uh, this is our weekly reminder. Nick and I are not doctors, so onward. Um, in 1838, an Italian professor, Raphael Piria, um, Piria, I'm, I don't speak Italian. Piria, Piria sounds very anglicized. I'm no, not going to say his Piria. name is Raffaele Piria. <laughs> Raffaele Piria, uh, Raphael Piria. We're going to go with that. I'm going to pretend I'm Giada saying spaghetti on Food Network. Um, (laughs) So this professor produced salicylic acid from the flower buds of Meadowsweet, which is like crazy to think about, right? Because 1838 was a long ass time ago. Um, And then in 1897... Felix Hoffman, working for the German drug company Bayer, synthesized uh, some salicin based on the study of Meadowsweet, which was actually better tolerated by the stomach lining. And a lot of people, I think, are really familiar with like salicylic acid coming from willow. But after the other compounds um, within Meadowsweet were studied, they found that it actually made it easier on like your stomach lining. 
And so Bayer named the new drug aspirin, which is derived from an old botanical name for Meadowsweet, which is Spiria ulmaria. And this in turn gave us a very important class of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, NSAIDs, NSAIDs. I've heard a million different ways people say that. Um, But those are obviously still widely used today. But as you might guess, Meadowsweet, if you're looking into herbal remedies, though, is something that's still used often to fight inflammation. And we now um, think that like most diseases can be traced back to chronic low levels of inflammation, right? Like I feel like that's more and more where the science is pointing us. So I think something like Meadowsweet can be a really useful tool in like your herbal remedy kit. And it's really great for cases of like rheumatic pain and it's tannin and mucilage content help like buffer the adverse effects of isolated salicylates, um, which can cause gastric bleeding Aspirin, on the other hand, can definitely cause gastric ulceration. And this is like part of what I love so much about herbalism. Like a lot of times there are already solutions to the side effects caused by certain chemicals of a plant. But when we like synthesize and isolate like that one specific chemical into medication without looking at the other compounds that help mitigate the side effects, then you end up with things like too much aspirin causing stomach bleeds. Even though if you look at Meadowsweet, there are things in that that actually help counteract that. Um, and actually, Meadowsweet is a great digestive aid, surprisingly enough. Um, it helps soothe and protect your mucous membranes and also can help like reduce acidity. And it's also been shown to help promote the healing of chronic ulcers and to prevent the development of lesions in the stomach. You can use it to treat like heartburn, hyperacidity, gastritis, peptic ulceration. Um, and it's also been shown to inhibit the growth of... Um, the Heliobacter pylori bacteria, the H. pylori bacteria we've talked about before. Um, you know, lots of people can have this bacteria living inside them for their entire lives and like not even know about it and not have any problems. But this is like kind of a silent but potentially deadly bacteria that can wreak havoc on your gut. Like for some people, it can increase your risk of developing gastric cancer. And it's often at the root of a lot of other digestive problems, like, you know, the development of ulcers and gastritis. Um, so that's just something to like keep in mind. It's we're learning more and more about the gut biome. It feels like constantly like that's the big new thing in you know body medicine. Well, so it's like, it's like uh, there's more bacteria that live inside of you than there are people on the planet Earth, and that is yeah. Uh, and they're all individuals. There's like hundreds of different kinds, which is crazy, and uh. It, it's a lot. You have a whole a you, have, you have a whole ecosystem inside of you. Yeah, and like the gut brain connection is really important which we're learning more and more about. Anyway, all that to say Meadowsweet's kind of a baller. So, you'll see it used in a few different ways, but the most common ways that people will use or like herbalists will prescribe Meadowsweet is in like teas or in liquid extracts. But again, like dosages and timing are something that you'll want to discuss with your herbal practitioner and or your doctor. Um, And if you're taking aspirin, especially people that might take it regularly, you'll want to use a lot of caution with this one since it does also contain salicylic acid. And of course, if you're someone with an aspirin allergy or a salicylate sensitivity, definitely avoid Meadowsweet altogether. Um, So now let's talk about some magic, guys. Uh, This masculine plant is associated with the element air and the planet Jupiter. It's really useful and magic related to things like love, divination, peace, and happiness. Like all the good vibes, real like Woodstock, summer of love stuff makes total sense to be associated with like a witch's Thanksgiving. You can place the fresh flower on your altar when you're doing love work or self-love work. I think it'd be a great thing to put on your altar for Lou, maybe for a Lunasa sort of uh, offering. You can also use the dried version as well to dress candles. It's also referred to a lot as like a good strewing herb um, because people like strew it about, right? Like uh, people would scatter it around for like weddings and hand fastings. It's also a great one to like scatter around your house to bring peace. 
I think maybe it's another good candidate for our under the doormat herb series. <laughs> um, and if you're working on a sleep sachet, it's good for divination work. So I'll just let you jump to whatever conclusions you like there. Um, but on the sachet topic, if you are working on relighting the fire in your uh, boudoir, you know, a sexy sachet could be a great way to use this as well. Maybe along with something like some rose quartz, you know, get feeling a little sexy. Uh, and I've also seen a lot of recommendations for using Meadowsweet and smoke cleansing. And that makes a lot of like logical sense to me, given all of its like really peace and love, very positive vibes. Um, so yeah, I think that just about covers it for this pretty little guy. Um, so my sources today were live-native.com. There's a great article on The Guardian about this, indigoherbs.co.uk, and of course, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. You know, I actually, I feel, I was not aware of the Jupiter connection. The Jupiter connection makes a huge amount of sense for everything that you were saying about that herb. But I was like, the Jupiter thing, I'm like, ooh, I actually, I should get some of that for my Sagittarius moon ass. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you should. I feel like Meadowsweet would go so well with your vibes anyway. Like, because it does have, I think, kind of that good, like, and, and I think for me too, I think those of us that have some um, more fiery, earthy placements, sometimes you need a little bit of that like positive air energy too. Oh yeah. So, but speaking of Jupiter, speaking of Sagittarius, y'all got the tarot scope this week, you guys. Whoop whoop. Uh, and this week, you Sagittarius bitches, uh... You got the reverse King of Swords this week. And so I this is an interesting one for me because I feel like it's very like, it's not mixed news. It's like good news. Like you're finding yourselves with a lot of power and resources at your disposal, but sort of at the same time remaining out of the glare of the public eye. Uh, so here's kind of what I'm gathering here is that you guys need to be careful because it might have crossed your minds that since you're sort of behind the scenes working working things, kind of working your own angle, uh, that you might maybe abuse your power too much or in like some way benefit yourself unfairly because of the situation that you're in. And the question that you guys need to ask yourselves is what are your values? Because would you behave this way if you knew that everyone would find out and you were in the spotlight? Or would you act a different way? Uh, what are your values? Um, so a good piece of advice here is that if you don't feel like you can wield power responsibly, or if you know it will have a corrupting influence on you, give it up. You know, there's no, there's no shame in that. Uh, and you really need to think if you can actually exercise self-control here and proceed with caution and go for it. If that is how you truly feel. Uh, I love that. So that's such a good note. I just, so recently I had a session with, um, this like life coach who was really great. It was, um, really helpful. And one thing that we talked about was like writing a list of your like personal values. And it sounds like that's something that might be useful here. Right. Uh, so you guys, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm so sorry to all of you two hour commuters out there who are really, who are really hoping to scrape through with an episode of Wands and Fronds. Uh, We're keeping it short and tight this week. Remember uh, when we first started, Nick and I were like, we'll aim for 45 minutes an episode, and then we doubled it on average. <laughs> um, well, sometimes we got a lot to say. but this, We do. We always have a lot to say, but this, but this one this week, was good. This one was good. We had, we had enough to say. Uh, I think so. But no. Um, <laughs> Next week is going to be an adventure. Y'all are in for a wild ride. Ooh, so and, just... and a real, and a real treat. Uh, I, I, we're keeping that one a little bit under wraps, honestly. Yeah, but just like be prepared for a good time. You know what? Um, I'll tell you. I will tell you that this episode is our 39th episode. And that is a clue 
that is a clue to what the Ooh. theme is. Oh, I want to hear what people's thoughts are about what the theme is for the 40th episode. Um, so, with that in mind, well, you can contact us to let us know what you think the theme of the 40th episode will be. Um, by contacting us, what is it, at Wands and Fronds Pod on Instagram. Yeah. You, that's yep. also, conveniently enough... Wands and fronds pod at gmail.com is our email. That's right. We kept it easy for you guys. We wanted to make it simple for you. And if you really want to like show your love for the podcast and help us out, if you could just pop on over to iTunes or Apple podcasts and like write in a sweet little, like sassy, uh, sassy little review for us, we'd really appreciate it. That helps a lot. Um, and if you don't have an iPhone or you're not on Apple podcasts, you know, like, subscribe, download, tell a friend, you know, we, uh, we appreciate all the help from you guys. Y'all have really helped grow this thing more than I think we anticipated within the first 40 episodes. And I know there's plenty more to come, but, um, you guys really are the best and we love and appreciate you all. And because we are so grateful for you guys, we say blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. We're so grateful for you. Goodbye. Bye now. The summer solstice. Uh, bleh, bleh, mm, bleh.